Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Ve'ehavta et Adonai Eloheha, Ve'chol lavavcha, Uve'chol nafshecha, Uve'chol meodecha. Good morrow, everybody. Welcome to Stories of Symmetry, a podcast that is dedicated to revealing beauty and purpose through another look at faith, the sacred, and the stories that unite us all. My name is Ben Laboot, and today we're talking about Shema, the Shema. What you just heard were the opening lines of a prayer that devout Jews have been praying every morning and every evening since ancient times. It is called the Shema, and translated from Hebrew into English, it begins, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Those are just the first two verses, Deuteronomy 6, 4-5. through 5. But the Shema is actually a recitation of three passages found in the Torah. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4-9, through 9, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 13-21, through 21, and Numbers chapter 15, verses 37-41. through 41. The prayer is recited twice a day in the early morning, and then again any time after dusk. The Shema is fascinating because it is one of only two prayers mandated by the Torah, and in a very special way, it captures many Jewish beliefs. The prayer is called Shema because it begins, Shema Yisrael. Hear, O Israel. It is a call for everyone to stop what they are doing and pay attention. Hear, O Israel, everybody listen. The Lord is our God. The book Deuteronomy, which in Hebrew is called Devarim, is the fifth of five documents that compose the Torah, which in Hebrew means something like instruction or teaching. In this case, the etymology of the word Deuteronomy is rather enlightening for understanding the text and its raison d'etre because Deuteronomy is a conflation of the Greek words deuteros and namos, or quite literally, second law. The text is called the second law because, in many ways, Deuteronomy is a repetition of that which is found previously in the Torah, making it a repetition of God's instruction, or, as the name implies, the law repeated, i.e. second law. The Torah was given to Israel during their time in the wilderness, between when they had fled Egypt and when they entered the Promised Land. So, we are back again in the time of Moses, and Deuteronomy, the repeated law, is a collection of three main things. A reiteration of much of God's instruction, an account of Israel's history, particularly of their wandering in the wilderness, and a collection of the exhortations from Moses to the people. These three things do not exhaust the text, 
but they do form the lion's share of it. Now, put yourself in the shoes of the Israelites who first received the message. You have been liberated from oppression and miraculously delivered out of Egypt. God gives you the Torah, and you know that very soon, you and your people, for the first time in nearly 500 years, will soon enter Canaan, the land that had been promised by God to your forebears Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses assembles the congregation, and you and your family join the crowd to hear the words that will one day be recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Moses begins, Now, these are the commandments, the laws, and the regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, to observe them in the land that you are crossing over to possess, so that you might hold the Lord your God in awe by keeping all of his laws and his commandments that I command you, you and your child and your child's child, all the days of your life, and in order that your days may be prolonged. You are to hearken, O Israel, and to take care to do them, so that it may go well for you, and so that you may become exceedingly many, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Now as for you, You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your substance. These words which I myself command you today are to be upon your heart. You are to teach them diligently to your children. You are to talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You are to bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as the frontlets between your eyes. You are to write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, to give you great and fine cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns which you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of serfdom. The Lord your God you are to hold in awe. Him you are to serve, and by his name you are to swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you, for Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and destroy you from off the face of the earth. You are not to test the Lord your God as you tested him at Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give your fathers, to push out all your enemies before you, just as the Lord has promised. And when your child asks you, on the morrow or in time to come, what is the meaning of the precepts, the laws, and the regulations 
that the Lord our God has commanded you. Then you are to say to your child, We were serfs of the Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and before our eyes the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household. He brought us out from there so that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to our fathers. So the Lord has commanded us to observe all of these laws, to hold in awe the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us as he has to this day. And righteous merit will it be considered for us when we take care to observe all this commandment before the presence of the Lord our God, just as he has commanded us. When I hear those words to the Israelites, I feel a strong exhortation to remember God. They say that God has given us so many great and good things that we have not earned ourselves, of which we are not deserving, for which we did not work. Yet, enjoy these things, for they are God's gift to us. But remember that they are just that, a gift. Enjoy that which God has given, but remember that it has been given, not earned. Furthermore, do not remember only material things that God has given, Remember also what God has done. Remember how the Almighty One heard our cry and rescued us from oppression. Remember the signs we saw and the miracles that we witnessed. Many were grievous for the Egyptians, but all were demonstrations of the wondrous might of the Lord. Indeed, remember the Lord your God. Our thoughts should be consumed by the divine. When we are among our friends, Talk about God. When we are alone, think about God. When we awake in the morning, when we eat, when we are at work, when we sit outside, constantly, until when sleep overtakes us at night, all that time, be thinking about God, the nature, the mysterious, and, most importantly, the blessings that we have received. The Lord our God should be so obvious in our lives it'll be like wearing signs on our foreheads. And when our children take notice and ask what it all means and why we worship the Lord, then tell them about what he has done for us, beginning with our liberation from Egypt right up through this very day. Teach them about God and about our response to follow the instruction. Indeed, that response is what it's all about. Because although Shema means to hear, it doesn't mean only to hear. Shema carries with it a connotation of action. Shema is not passively letting sound enter your ear and stimulate your cochlea. Rather, Shema is actively listening and then acting on what you hear, doing and obeying. One can hear only God's command. One can hear Deuteronomy 6, that passage that we heard in its entirety. But to listen only is not to Shema. It's like when the prophet Jeremiah cried out to God, 
Lord, I am preaching to them, but your people do not listen. They do not shema. For Jeremiah had been preaching to the people, and they heard the words that he was speaking, but they didn't obey them. They didn't act on the admonishment. They did not shema. Verily, you can hear Deuteronomy 6 and act on it quite literally. You can celebrate Pesach, whose Seder includes asking the question, What do all these things mean? And you can physically write the Shema on your door frames. There is a special box for it called a mezuzah. And when you hang it, make sure it's on the right side of the doorpost with its top pointed inward, and you kiss it as you enter. Or, you can quite literally bind the Shema to your hand and to your forehead using a special box called a phylactery. But take heed, for you can do all of these things. You can abide God's instruction, and yet you can miss the point entirely. Consider that when Jesus saw that the religious leaders of his day were hypocrites about matters of the law, he told the people, Do what they teach you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They bind great big phylacteries to their foreheads, but they do not keep the words that are written therein. Jesus knew that those religious leaders knew the Torah and performed its actions, yet they ignored the purpose of those actions and the intention that backed them. Deuteronomy 6 is a call to actually remember and acknowledge God in your actions, not to make a pretense of it, but to truly take it to heart. Jesus once told a parable about a sower who scattered seed into different types of soil. Of the several seeds, the only one that produced thriving, sustainable fruit was the seed that landed in good soil, a metaphor for the word of God coming to a person who both hears that word and understands it. For in truly understanding it, one can easily recognize the calls to action in God's commands. Jesus ended the parable by saying, He who has ears, let him hear. Because the Gospels are written in Greek, we don't know if Jesus told the parable of the sower and the seeds in Hebrew, and if he did what diction he chose. But I like to think that, whether in Hebrew or not, Jesus was giving his listeners, and us, a nod to Shema, and all the connotations that that word carries. So much of what we do is not about the action, but about the heart behind the action. That is why some people can speak the name of Jesus and cause demons to flee, but others, when they speak the name of Jesus, cause demons to laugh. The former believe in the power of the name and work in conjunction with the divine. There is an instance recorded in Acts 19 when the sons of Sceva tried exercising demons for profit. They said, In the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, come out. But the demons replied, We know Jesus, and we know Paul. But who are you? And the demons attacked the sons of Sceva and beat them bloody. That is why some people can physically wear the Shema on their foreheads and plaster it to their doorposts 
and yet not have the compassion of God. That is why some people can wear a cross necklace and yet not show basic decency to others. That is why some people who call themselves Christians can read the Bible and all day long quote scripture at you verbatim and yet not have the love of God in their words, and somehow never have met the very Jesus whose fish are on the backs of their cars. You can read the words of God without understanding what they say, just like you can hear, yet not Shema. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a third of the New Testament, was a Pharisee, but he wasn't just any old humdrum Pharisee. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees, a devout follower of the strictest sect of Judaism who, more than likely, had the Torah memorized. And yet, when he first heard the good news about Jesus, he scorned it. Paul had been praying for the Messiah his entire life. He knew all the prophecies to be fulfilled and the signs to look for. Yet when Jesus the Messiah came, he completely missed it. It wasn't until Jesus literally knocked him off his horse that he finally understood. Sometimes it is easy to miss God. Deuteronomy 6 calls us to remember because we can so easily forget. Hence, it tells us to utilize and enjoy the blessings that God gifts us, but to remember that we didn't do anything deserving of them. They are from God. I think about when Paul wrote to the early Christ followers at Ephesus and said, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not of your works, so that no one can boast. Sometimes we forget our blessings. To the Israelites, God gave great and good cities with houses that they did not build and vineyards that they did not plant. To us, God has given salvation through Jesus the Messiah. God has given grace. Sometimes, though, our arrogance and hubris creep in and turn us into hypocrites and other hateful things. Then, we forget what God has done and stop thinking about how to share it with the world and everyone in it. When someone wrongs us, we can get all pissy and refuse to forgive, as if what they did were some great cosmic injustice. But we forget that we ourselves did commit an actual cosmic injustice when we wronged God. We forget that God forgave us when we didn't deserve it and when God didn't have to. We forget that the grace of God was not earned by us. We did not do a single thing deserving of it. Salvation and grace were earned by Jesus and Jesus alone, and then he gave it to us as a gift. That is why I cannot in good conscience boast about the grace I have, because I didn't do anything to achieve it. In fact, I should talk less about myself altogether. Instead, I should talk more about God, as Deuteronomy 6 encourages me to, because maybe then 
Some people might have a chance to hear about God and all that God has done for me. If I hear the word and understand it, if I am a seed that lands in good soil and produces fruit, then my only appropriate response is to share God with the world. When it comes to seeking God, the Bible says, Knock, and the door will be opened. Sometimes, though, I can't help but wonder if the roles are reversed, that it is not me knocking at God's door, but God knocking at mine, and all I have to do is open it. It is the sound of God calling, and maybe it is not enough to only hear. Maybe it is time to act on what I hear. Maybe it is time to shema. Thank you for joining me, Ben Laboot, here on Stories of Symmetry, a podcast dedicated to revealing beauty and purpose. If you are wondering how you can Shema, consider kindling thoughts of God in the midst of those you know and bouncing your thoughts off theirs. I also encourage you to simply share this podcast with others. And subscribing to this podcast or giving it a like, a share, or a positive review will help our podcast presence and get stories of symmetry seen by people around the globe. Finally, if you have the resources and desire, you can donate to the show at storiesofsymmetry.com give. Your gift will help cover our overhead, contribute toward future growth, and help us feel that our work is appreciated. As always, the next episode will be out in two weeks. That's one fortnight from today. And until then, go with God, Go in peace.